Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Last week we found the disciples after Jesus' resurrection locked behind doors for fear of religious and political authorities. They were worried that the same thing that had happened to Jesus would happen to them, and they decided that the best course of action was to stay locked and away from the world. And Jesus comes into the midst of their fears and says to them, you need to leave this place. Accept my gift of peace and share that peace with others. And so Peter goes back to the town that he is from in Capernaum, and he resumes his job fishing. And in the midst of this night of fishing, I mean, it's sort of like Luke chapter 5, um, the disciples are out there, they're fishing all night, and they don't catch anything. And they're finished, it's daybreak, they're, 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 they're ready to call it a day, and Jesus says, hey, you don't got any fish, do you? And uh, they're like, no, we don't got any fish. And he says, okay, well, put your net over here. And they do, and it brings up this giant cast of fish. And all of a sudden, they realize that it's Jesus, and Peter runs and jumps to go see him. And he gets there, and guess what? Jesus already has fish grilling on a fire. Jesus wasn't giving them directions of where to lay the net down because he needed some fish because he was hungry. Jesus already had fish He just wanted to help them out. It's a really important lesson for us to learn as Christians is that we sometimes overemphasize our own importance in the kingdom of God. This does not mean that God is just going to simply say, okay, you don't have to do anything, don't worry, I'm going to do it all. But let us not forget for a moment that it is God's kingdom and God's action in the world. And whether we are willing to fish or not, God still has fish. I wonder in this moment what Peter's own thoughts were when he comes to gather around this charcoal fire where the fish are cooking. Bad memories sometimes can be connected to a smell or a taste or a sound. To this day, after many, many, many years ago of eating some peanut butter pretzels, the thought and sight of peanut butter pretzels is enough to turn me green. Why? The pretzels didn't cause me to be sick. It just happened I ate some, and then later that day I got sick. But in my mind, they're connected and do not bring me any peanut butter pretzels. And I wonder if Peter might have had that same reaction as he is gathered around a charcoal fire. The last time in John's gospel, when the charcoal fire showed up, it was after Jesus' arrest. And there Peter had gone and he had followed. And people asked him, weren't you one of his? And Peter said, oh no, not me, not me. You must have me confused with someone else. Not once as he asked this, but three times by a charcoal fire He has asked, weren't you one of his disciples? And each time he denies it. And here is Jesus gathered around a charcoal fire, gathered around the very thing where Peter was when he denied Jesus and and, and Jesus 
redeems this event for him. Jesus is not playing mind games with Peter. He wants to redeem Peter's experience and send Peter out into ministry. What did Jesus do when I am sure Peter must have had this memory and this shame and this guilt about denying Jesus? Jesus gives him something to eat. He feds a hungry man. Then he tells him not once, not twice, not three times, but go and feed my sheep. He gives them something to eat, and then he says, now you go and you love others. Cynthia Erickson, who is a psychologist, writes that courage requires a Christian identity of knowing that you are loved and affirmed by God, and that your identity is not based upon your achievements or your titles. And once we realize that we are loved that deeply, then she says, you can go and you can take risk. I wonder what would happen if Christians were willing to have that sort of sense of how deeply we are loved by God and how it might change our witness in the world. There was a recent New York Times article about um, a change in the New York City library in terms of late fees. Since fall of 2021, nearly 90,000 books have been returned to the New York Public Library system. 90,000 books that were overdue or considered lost were returned between October 6, 2021 and February of 2022. Many of the returned books were books that had been marked as missing for decades. According to the article, some books were checked out for so long that they had to be returned to a different address. For instance, in December 2021, Flushing Library in Queens received a package containing Goodbye, Mr. Chips, a novella by the English novelist James Hilton that had been checked out in July of 1970 from an address that is now associated with the shopping plaza. Why would someone who had checked out book nearly 52 years ago decide to return it now? Why would tens of thousands of people suddenly decide to do the right thing? The answer may lie in that the New York Public Library System announced last October that they would be eliminating late fines. They canceled the debts. All the accumulated fines that people had run up over the years were suddenly removed. Freedom, nothing due, nothing owed, no punishment. When asked why it was that the library did this, they said that we exist to get books and people back into the library. A wave, of over, a wave of returned overdue materials came crashing in as a result, accompanied by a healthy increase of between 9 and 15% of people who were suddenly visiting the library. People were free to enjoy libraries as they were intended. The New York Public Library president, Tony Mark, said that the system that they realized that they were not in the fine collection business. Rather, libraries exist, he says, to encourage people to read and to learn from business. And we were getting in our own way. A president of the New York Public Library System realized that the law of fines and fees had prevented libraries from being used for the purpose that they're intended. 
all the shame, all the guilt, all the debts that had accumulated over the years made it impossible for people to feel free and enjoy a library. When penalties were absorbed and removed, however, everything changed. People suddenly returned books that they had held on to for 50 years. And people went and enjoyed the library again. It's amazing what we will do when the motivation is right. When it is that we feel safe and courageous, when we feel secure, when we realize that we have nothing to lose. I think all too often we have been told that once we get our stuff together, then we can be of help to God. But in reality, the gospel story is different. God gives us something to do despite of and often because of we don't have our stuff together. That God will love us in spite of our own worst selves. That the cross and the empty grave are God's way of saying that we will never be rejected by God. The cross is God's way of bearing our burdens and, and absorbing our guilt. In this Easter season, we are reminded time and time again that shame is gone and we don't have to strive to be perfect because we're not. Everything that we long for, everything that we need is given to us by God in Jesus Christ. We do not, we do not have to do in order to get. We do because we have already received. As John reminds us in one of his letter, letters, we love because God first loved us. There's great freedom when we realize that we don't have to hide our library books anymore or we have to worry about whether God needs our fish, that God can even take the tiny minnows and make them something for the kingdom. In that charcoal fire, an event and a memory was altered. A painful memory was transformed into an icon of divine love and of forgiveness. And it is a fire of God's love that never, ever goes out. Amen. Amen.